I want to think with you this morning about what it's like to leave home. Sometimes we go willingly and gladly. Sometimes as we leave, we slam the door. (laughs) Other times we leave with tears And we've watched the last several months, even though there were millions before under the radar that we didn't see, we've lost, we've watched for the last several months people leaving home because either they're brutally being forced out, or if they don't leave, they'll be killed. They're exiled against their wills. What it's like to leave home. And the friend of Jesus is going to tell us a little bit about that. But first, a few weeks ago, Sharon and I drove to Minneapolis where her home was and where we were married. And... uh, I thought as we were driving on uh, 402, 401, 94, 96, have you ever thought about how many people at any given moment of the day or night, how many people are on the road away from home? Well, the guess of the number of people on North America's highways at any moment to be in the number of millions be too high? That was, that was our view from the window for two days. And how about a couple of hundred years ago? We mentioned that this is an anniversary of this congregation. How about a couple of hundred years ago when settlers arrived here in uh, what is now called Interkip. It wasn't called Interkip then. But um, (laughs) what kind of an exile away from home was that for them? Especially when they discovered mosquitoes and black flies. And how many We talked, alluded to it for a second there, but how many refugees, exiles from their homes, are struggling as we sit here in the comfort of this almost unmatchable place on the globe, southern Ontario, as we sit here this morning on a June day? How many refugees, exiles from their homes, are struggling to find a better place as we sit here in the comfort of this room among family and friends. At this moment, while we breathe in and out, there are people in the area of the Mediterranean experiencing 
exile. And some of them are so desperate to get away from home that they're drowning in the attempt. And so, Peter, a friend of Jesus who knew him well, Peter wrote a letter to some of his friends to, who themselves were exiles. They had been scattered away from their homes because they had dared in a hostile culture to name the name of Jesus. Some, some of them had left willingly in obedience to the call of Christ to tell others about the good news. Others had been hounded into exile. And uh, actually, Jesus' stepbrother James wrote about this as well. But we'll focus today on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. We're looking at the, uh, the New Living Translation. And... Uh, he starts his letter, as you can see on the screen. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners, and the word could easily be translated either exiles or foreigners. The root meaning is the same, away from home. Living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they're scattered. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we'll think about the exile of Jesus. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So I'm going to think, and I'll ask you to follow me in thinking about five different kinds of exile. We mentioned them, some willingly, who are travelers. Um, others are refugees, and we'll look more at that in First Peter. And a third might be many of us in the room Students who may be leaving home, perhaps for the first time, into a completely different environment that you might think is welcoming, but between the lines, you might discover it to be toxic. And a fourth kind of exile, those of us who, while we stay put, our surroundings change so dramatically that we feel like we're strangers in our own home. And finally, the fifth kind of exile I'd like you to think about is the exile of Jesus himself into an indescribably dark place. Now think first about travelers and vacationers are... Uh, our grandkids and great-grandkids find it easy to be away from home at the lake in Minnesota. This was a couple of summers ago. They're, they're glad to be away from home. 
And that's kind of a, a soft exile. And they got exiled out of that raft into the lake in about 20 seconds after this photo was taken. Um, so that's one kind of exile. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that because it's one that we choose for the most part, right? We want to get away, to get away from home. But others, in a second kind of exile, are unwillingly uprooted by desperate tragedy. And they're among the millions of nameless, faceless people who huddle in nasty places or on threatening waters. They're refugees forced from home. And a third kind of exile I want you to think about today, and I mentioned Aren't you students on the move? Your bodies are on the move as they change, and you enter that strange land of puberty on the way to adulthood. And if you're leaving high school, you're on the move into the workforce, which um, could be an exile. It doesn't have to be. Or you may be traveling toward college or university. Or maybe you're hiking into a distant land away from home, into the land of marriage and family. And you're getting ready to move out of your parents' home. Some of you might be only too glad to get to do that. Um, when I was 19, I moved 500 miles away from Dundas to Chicago, and my parents were good parents, but I was glad to go. And to my mother's distress, I wasn't particularly interested in coming back home. So wherever you are as students, you're, you're leaving many kinds of familiar territory. And you're on the move to some unknown and strange territory. And I hope you'll hear God speak to you through First Peter this morning. And as you come to this true home where a table is spread and food is offered. And think about a fourth kind of exile. For the most part, we're people who stay put geographically. I'm not going to ask you to do it, but if I did ask you, and you were to respond by putting up your hand, how many people live in the same geographical space as you grew up in, I think not too many of us would do that. But you know how it is. While we stay put and don't move, the familiar faces the familiar experiences that have filled our lives through childhood into teenagers, teenage years and sometimes into young adults, even into adulthood. We lose those faces that we loved long since. And we lose the spaces that are so familiar and as time passes, it's not hard to become strangers, strangers in our own land.
family members dwindle away, sometimes by estrangement, sometimes through death. And as time passes, we become strangers. Jobs disappear. Marriages are split by death or disease or conflict. Children grow up and move out. Parents die or their health kind of dwindles away. And standards of behavior, too, disappear. The landmarks that made it easy for us to navigate the territories in which we live sometimes disappear. They used to be reliable markers along the road, and now for many of us, they're gone. And some of us, I know from listening to your hearts, some of us live in a strange land of uncertainty and loneliness. So, Peter writes, to you in whatever exile you find yourself, four kinds of them, travelers, vacationers, refugees, those of us who are in a place of transition from one stage of life to the other, and the rest of us who watch as familiar faces and the benchmarks of life morph and fade away. So what does God say to us when life keeps us on the move like that? Or when life races past us and we have a sense that we're kind of sitting in the dust of what used to be. Well, we'll open it a bit from First Peter in those first words, to the exiles or to the foreigners who've been chosen and destined by God. Now let me stop for a minute. There's something different between being choice and chosen. Choice infers and maybe hints that there may be something in us that deserves special treatment. Chosen means that God, out of the freedom of his goodness, longed for a relationship with you. And he reaches out to you in whatever place you are, whether the familiar fires of home or the strange lands of exile. And he chooses you because he loves you, chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified that is set apart by the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled by his blood. So what in the world could that mean? Well, let's start by asking what lies ahead of you 
Maybe your roadway, though you might not have a clue, is going to turn some dark corner. Maybe what lies ahead of you, and I don't want to be morbid, but realistically, what may lie ahead of you, and it's more likely for me than for you, what may lie ahead of us is the roadway that leads to a terror-filled nighttime of sickness and wasting. It may lead for you, and I know some of you at this moment have already turned the corner into the exile of long-term illness and radiation and disability and sharp, penetrating loss. We can't avoid the obvious in Woodstock where too many of our teens have found themselves exiled into a dark place of hopelessness and despair. And to whatever it is that you're moving, know from what God says to you through this letter to some exiles a long time ago, that you are not alone. Christ is there. Think this morning about an ultimate exile, the freely chosen exile of Jesus, an exile in which the eternal Lord of all that is, the one whose hands sculpted the mountains and colored the flowers like a child with a crayon. Think of the exile that he chose in coming from the perfection of the Godhead in the eternal glory of heaven, exiling himself into a broken and bleeding world where children choose to end their lives. Why did he persist in that trip that took him, his journey did, past screaming people who were screaming at him, soldiers who mocked him, others who spit in his face and punched him out. He entered the darkness of exile on that lonely, windswept, God-forsaken hill where he, Peter tells us, sprinkled his blood. He, the one who embodied wholeness, the one who was the epitome of what health is, became broken and terminally wounded because he chose you. He traveled into the fog of death and then out into the light of the resurrection morning 
Now, Peter tells us, and we won't read it, but uh, further on in what he writes in his letter to his friends, he tells us that this Lord Jesus, whose exile took him into unimaginable darkness, and then again out into the light of new life, that we might join him there, that Lord Jesus is on up ahead of you on whatever road may lie before you. So as we transition from what is familiar to what is unknown, we can know that the price Jesus paid in order to seal your safety in God's keeping was the price of his life poured out for you. And that's what the wine speaks to you. The pouring out of Jesus' life to provide nourishment and refreshment to you. Whether you're in a lush orchard or a desert place. Do you get the irony? God willingly comes among us in Jesus into a place of hostile exile. And because he did, we can sit in a place called home. Because wherever he is present, that is home. And Jesus, right here in this room, prepares a table before us. Even when we're surrounded by enemies. And sometimes the forces and the people and the events that we think are our friends might be our enemies. But Jesus prepares a table before us. And on the table is food, bread, and wine. Signs to us of a broken body in that ultimate exile of being estranged from God. Signs of his poured out blood in that ultimate strange place called Calvary. And because of that work of Jesus, there is no place where we can be that we can't be at home for the God who made himself for us. The man who wrote the words that we read just a few minutes ago would like to remind you of something that he learned on his bumpy journey, sometimes through strange places, sometimes through warm, welcoming places. He wrote this, and I hope you take this with you as you come to this table. Let this be burned on your heart and on your mind. You, he writes, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once, he writes, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as you come to this table, if you've never had that sense of the mercy of God in your life, I invite you to open your heart, to receive it, and find a new name that makes you, no matter where you are, at home. Let's pray. We come to this table with thanksgiving to you, our God, who invites us to come home. Amen.
the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And he established what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And in so doing, he proscribed a practice to the church which would form after his death and resurrection so that we might remember and so that we might never forget uh, what he has done for us. Now on that night he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took a cup said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as a result, today, 2,000 years later, we still take the bread and we remember. He died for us. And we take the cup and we remember. Stan has said, as Peter has reminded us, he sprinkled his blood on the ground that we might know life. So today, yes, my friends, we take the bread and we take the cup. And in the presence of the living, resurrected Lord Jesus, we remember. Shields my soul. 
Let's pray together. Lord, when we reflect on what you have done for us and when we remember how much it brings to our lives, we recognize that we are most blessed of all people. For no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstance, no matter how far into exile we might go, we are never alone. For Christ has died for us. He's been raised to new life. 